Hello everyone, I'm Bruce Whitfield and welcome to Kim's Book Launch. Kim is a well-respected financial advisor. You may even be a client of hers and have received her wisdom for many, many years. Perhaps you're somebody who's considering using her services in the future. Well, she's written a brand new book, Midlife Money Makeover. I liked it so much, I even wrote some words on the front uh, for Kim. She put a picture of herself on the front and you can tell why I didn't do the same. Midlife money, um, it's something that not enough people talk about. Um, there's a huge amount of focus that happens on people who are just starting out and how to find a financial advisor and all of the very, very basics, which hopefully by now you've mastered. And you've gone on a path of earning money and putting money away and investing money for the future. Um, that future is coming closer and closer. And what I love about Kim's approach as she talks about midlife money, is that it's this understanding that none of us is getting any younger. All of us are worried about the future. We are apprehensive about the future, whether it's the South Africa future, which I talk about in my book, or whether it's the global future to which I refer, the future is uncertain. The future is absolutely petrifying. Because Abraham Lincoln, I think it was, is the best way to create the future is to make it happen, something like that. It's not exactly word for word perfect, but you've got to make your own future happen. And people like him are there to help you do it. And it's about getting a perspective on your money, understanding whether or not you've been disciplined enough and saved enough, invested enough, put enough away, if you've put it in the right places and diversified adequately so that you've got a good whack of cash to see you through your old age. There is a very strong possibility that you will live to 85, 90, 95, and many of you will even make it to 100 years old. More and more people as the years go by will do that. Do you have enough money to see you through? It's people like Kim who come up with the solutions for you to help you make sure that you get a good night's sleep now because so many of us lie awake at night worrying about things over which we have no control. But the one thing you do have control over, and that is much of your spending and just how much of that spending you're willing to sacrifice to keep adding to your pot. And how long, how long are you going to keep working for and adding to your wealth over the long term? Because you may just need it. Kim, it's a wonderful book. Congratulations and enjoy the launch, everyone. Thank you very much to Bruce Whitfield for that uh, kind opening for Kim's book. I think Bruce should definitely write a book about how to sell a book. I think he did a very good job there as well for his book. Um, so uh, my name is Maya Fisher-French, and I am a financial uh, journalist, primarily focusing on personal finance. So for me, it is a great privilege to be able to interview Kim Putheta about her latest book, Midlife money makeover. And as you can see, I have been reading it and I have been taking down so many notes uh, because I think this is just an outstanding book, especially for someone who is turning 50 this year, the word midlife. Now, for those of you uh, who do not know who Kim is, I shall be introducing her because Kim has an amazing resume. Kim is not only a certified financial planner, she also has a degree in both industrial and clinical psychology. She is a professional certified coach, a certified dare to lead facilitator and a new money story mentor coach. Now, what I love about all of this is that Kim works around the psychology of money. As you can gather, that is her actual interest is psychology and how those come together. And for me, midlife money makeover is not actually a book about money. I write about money. I write about the ifs and the buts and the, 
you know, how to's, I think Kim writes about the why, because this book is about living, how to use your finances to achieve it. What do you want your life to look like? That's the first question. The second question then is, what money choices do I need to make to live that life? So welcome, Kim. Thanks, and Maya. Congratulations. to me today. <laughs> and just really congratulations on the book. I, um, as, you, as you know, because you and I met many years ago, uh, when you brought out this book, Retirement. So you and I were on the book circuit together. We met and I bought so many copies of this book for everybody I knew who was retiring. And it, it's because of this part, the mint, because it's not just about we all go into retirement. It's all about money and, you know, how much money do I have? But nobody's talking about the meaning of retirement. So what made you write about the midlife money makeover? What made you write about that? Well, also because I think I've entered my 50s and I think as you're going through a transition, you're more curious and you're interested in it. But that's not the main reason. I, I mean, I've been working that book, Retirement, was five and a half years ago. I can't believe it. But before that and since then, I've been working with uh, people, helping them with this transition of retirement, helping them to get the most meaning in their lives. And all the time that I'm doing this work and I'm helping them and we're chatting, they're saying, if only I'd started this earlier, if only I could have done this earlier. So that was a huge drive for me. Well, first of all, I, I wanted to be able to get to people earlier before they were thinking about retirement so we could start the process and get the right things in place. And actually, so that people weren't wasting a whole lot of their time existing before they started living. So, so that was another reason. And then Maya, I think I was also realizing with so many people how their relationship with money was sabotaging their retirements. And very much the focus in this book is around your relationship with money and helping you to have a better relationship with money. So I've made it a, a big focus. So yes, I, I needed to go out and learn all of that. I needed to find people to teach me a whole lot of it and then bring it into the book and I mean, secretly, I just love sharing. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a learner. I mean, my, my main strength and what I love doing is learning. But the little bit of the difference is my learning is not just for me. My learning is because I love to share it with the people around. So, so what better way than to write a book and share it that way? And I mean, Kim, that is one of the things you brought to this book this time as well, are your, the stories of your clients. Um, I, I think you changed some of the names, <laughs> but, but your clients' journeys and those have informed because this is what it is about. It's about real life. It's not about theory. It's about those real emotions. And, and, and for me, a lot of the journeys that your clients went to, the questions they asked really resonated with me. How did you use that and, and build that into the, into the book? So my a big thing about what I do with clients is I am a financial planner. I'm a certified financial planner. But in order to do financial planning properly, I believe you first need to understand a client's life. So the first meeting that I do when a client comes in to see me is a two-hour, what we call life planning meeting. And that's envisioning what this next chapter looks like. And in every one of those meetings, let me tell you, I learned something. In every, everybody who comes to see me wants something different from their life. They've got different expectations and different dreams. And when I come out of those meetings, they're my favorite part of everything I do. I love those meetings. And when I come out of those meetings, I want to share what I've learned. So I've done throughout the book, there's, there's many stories and it's actual stories. I, I didn't make them up because then there was no point to the book. It was client stories. My clients are amazing where they let me share their stories. I mean, obviously, I ask permission of everybody's story. I shared some, I changed names. 
And even now when I did change the name, I'll, I'll get an a, a email or a call from someone and say, I think I recognize myself on <laughs> my so-and-so, so-and-so. And, you know, for me, just by having those stories being shared, it, it, it makes it real that you, you realize you can do it. Because I find a lot of the books we read are, oh, that's what other people are doing it. I, I'm not going to be able to do it. And I, I wanted this book to be different. I, I wanted this book for when you read it, I wanted to speak to you and I wanted you to feel, you know what, I can do that. If they could do it, so can I do it. So that's why the stories for me have been really important. And I'm very grateful to my clients for, for, for allowing me to share that. And, uh, you, you know, you, you spoke about the first book, Retirement, and you you say in this book, um, the most common question you get is, will I have enough to retire on? How long will my money last? And what I love, there's a sentence you wrote in there that I just pulled out because it says, have a plan and not a string of investments. Now, I can't tell you how, so I mean, in, in, in the role, role I have in, in, you know, on the public sort of financial education space, the amount of times people send me messages on social media that read something like, I have 50,000 Rand, where should I invest it? It's like that's the totally long, wrong way to be looking at it. Um, you know, you've got to look about how to bring your money together to make the most of your life and to have a plan. Have a plan for life. Yeah, and and and, and Maya, I think it's um, maybe it's because of what we used to. I mean, we we used to having a policy schedule with a whole lot of things on it. We're not used to this whole concept of a financial plan. Um, I, I do believe that our industry is changing a lot. And, and I do believe we're becoming more professional. And with that professionalism, our skill, I always say my product is I write a financial plan for people. And an integral part of a financial plan is making sure that I have a life plan. So you, you need to know what the life plan is first before you then can look at what the financial plan is and look at the scenarios and in the, where you should be invested. I mean, I often smile because people will they'll straight away say, you know, um, and we're not going to come in and see you, but could you tell me, like, do I have enough? And then they give me an amount. And I say, well, you know, uh, that doesn't help at all because how much you spend, how much you need is completely different. And every, as I said, every single couple is differently, lives differently, needs for different. So, so important it is for, I think, for us to get around in our heads that we need a plan and that we, 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 we kind of need to think of it like building a puzzle. If you have got all these little pieces and you don't know how they fit together, there's no picture. You're never going to be able to build it. And for me, the same is with financial planning. And, and that's this whole book is talking around what are all the different pieces? And they're all important, your family, your dreams, your, your work, your, your, your um, learning. All of this is important. And when you bring it all together and you get this picture right, then you decide where to invest. Then you know how much you need. But before that, you actually don't know any of those answers. And you shouldn't be able to give people those kind of answers without getting to know them more. Absolutely. And, and, and that comes back to it. Everybody, I mean, I, you know, I do a lot of work with people and, and they send me their grocery bills, for example. And I'm stunned at the difference between different people's grocery bills. Mutually, mine is always higher than everybody else's. So, you know, but then you, I suppose you look and you think, what is it that you're spending your money on? Does it resonate? My husband and I spend way a lot more money than most people on date night. We do date night every week. And we have done since my son was six weeks old. That's a priority in our lives. And we know that that's going to be a bigger factor in our budget. So it's important to align your money with your, you know, with your life, I suppose, with, with what you want in life. 
Maya, just on that, one of the exercises in the book is around your, your highest values. You know, if you can understand your highest values, you will also understand where, where your money will be going, more, more of it will be going. So many times I meet people and it, it might potentially be holidays. For others, it might be family. For others, it might be education. And, and, and I think it becomes really important as you as a person to identify your highest values so that when you've got it, when you need to make choices and you need to make decisions, you always take that, that, that into account. And so for you, obviously your relationship with your husband is extremely important. And that's why you are happier to spend money in, in those kind of areas. And, and I think that also leads me, you always talk about your vision board. Um, and I love that. Um, I don't know if you've got a, a picture, if you can share a picture of your vision board. But this also is, is you're a very visual person. Um, and you like to take pictures, actual images of what it is that you want. Um, and when, so Kim did share this with me. And I, I just thought it was just such a great, uh, that's her writing and preparing the book. <laughs> but the next one there, your, your, your vision board, like putting together, it, you know, we see it with um, home decorators. They do a a board of and they put all the different samples and all of this but this is your life you've actually put your life dreams on a ball so just take us through how you would go about building a vision board so so Maya this is something I've been doing since I was oh, probably 18 19 20 I've always believed in 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 putting out to the world what I wanted to achieve I didn't want, you know, what other people had in mind for me to happen to be what 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 my life became. So every year, and it's quite a, a process in my home, as you can see, cutting out pictures. I, I like to see it visually. My children all know about it. It's, it's quite interesting when, when you chat to them about it. I, I sit every year in about December. I contemplate about how the year's been. I then look forward to the year coming and, and what I want it to be. And, and I put together this vision board. I put it in a place where my whole family can see it, when I can, where I can see it, so that I consciously remember to what's really important for me in my life. And, and I think it's a great discussion piece with your family that they all have their bits that they add to it. And then they also know for you and your life what's important for you so that, that they, like in, in a way what they're doing is they're helping you also get their focus on it. Um, and in that way, you, you're having the right kind of conversations, you're having the right kind of focus areas. And I, I love seeing how I've got three children um, 28, 19, and 15, and they all have a form of vision boards that they do. Some of them aren't as visual, but that's how, how we've structured it. And I say that to clients as well when they're anticipating any change in their life. Know what it is you want to achieve. Many people that I meet, they're always telling me what they don't want. I don't want this, and I don't want this, and I don't want this to happen. And I said, well, what do you want? And let me tell you, Maya, that's a much harder question because when you ask somebody that, I often get this like petrified look and, no, 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 please don't tell me. <laughs> don't make me answer that question because we're so busy thinking what we don't want that we don't think of what we do want. And, okay, so vision boarding for me has, has been a great way. One last thing I just want to add on vision boarding, it's not that you create this vision board, go away, never do anything, and then it all just comes true. <laughs> Myth <laughs> number eight. I have already pulled it out because I was just about to ask you. Myth number eight in the book is you can simply attract the money in life you want. Yes, this is it is not just about having the pretty pictures. So talk through that. <laughs> well, I, I do believe it, it's got a lot to do with our mindset. So uh, again, and um, I'm 
so much of, of what we do is happens because of the stories in our heads. So in our heads, if we go, I'm never going to have money, um, I'm not good with money, uh, um, you know, money's never been my friend. We, we keep repeating these kind of stories over and over and over again. And then the reality happens and we go, oh, you see, I was right. And what I encourage people to do is to actually stop those stories, to, to question them and say, like, is that story serving me or is that story actually um, um, like going against where I'm trying to go in life? And, and, and a lot of the time, it, it's just a belief that we have made into reality. So I, I do call and encourage people to question those kind of beliefs that they're having, especially ones that are, that are actually sabotaging their lives. I'm going to want to talk to you a little bit about your money story, which you, you cover in, in the book. And I want to get to that, that, that money story because it is so incredibly powerful. And, and I've, I've shared with you that you and I, when I read your money story, I thought, oh, Kim, okay, this is why you and I get on so well, because we have a very similar money story. We actually have quite a similar money belief system, which is quite interesting. And here we both are in educating people about money. So there's a lot going on there, I imagine, psychologically. But, you know, let's talk a little bit about um, money stories and, and how they can sabotage us, but also how we can change them. Yeah, I mean, Maya, as, as I said in the beginning, that was one of the big reasons for this new book, um, because what I was meeting is people who had become like kind of accepting, you know, I don't have a good relationship with money. Money doesn't work for me. So that's how it's going to be going forward. And that took me to go and study with David Kruger, who, who is, he's written the book, The New Money Story. And it's a, a book where, where he takes you through a process of how you can change it. So very much for people who do have, um, it, it's a way, first of all, just to, to stop and identify what is that money story you're telling yourself. Uh, it starts from when we're really, really young. Um, normally by the age of seven, our relationship with money is already formed. I mean, people, when I, I'm quite surprised when I chat to them, I say, you know, your relationship with money, and they look at me and they say, our relationship with money, why would I have a relationship with money? But actually it's one of our longest relationships we have because we get all these money messages when we're young and we're still planning for it when, when, when one day when we're preparing for our death. So it's a very long relationship. Um, and so when you, the exercise that I take you through in the book, and I'm not going to give too much away, is you actually write down a lot of your money story. What has it been? And then you write down what you would like it to be. And then it's kind of a process of looking at how do I take it from where it is to where I want it to be? What are the steps that you need to put in place? And all of this is new habits that you need to learn. And um, if you can't put in the new habits, it, it, it doesn't really work. But the main place of starting to get a new money story is first identifying that you want change. And a lot of people don't even allow themselves to admit that they want change. They would rather just stay in the comfort zone of where they've been because that's what they know. And even if it's hard work and struggle, um, the, 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 you know, the main thing is that you decide that you want it to be different. You know, I have to tell you, I've, obviously I've gone through Kim's book and, and just absolutely loved it. And I've started applying some of that. And my husband and I had a conversation last night, actually, which where I used exactly, I thought, hold on, is that actually what I want? And then we, we went through the discussion and we realized that's not what we want. We want something else. But we'd never had the words, I think, or framework to really have that, to think about it in, in, in those terms. Um, and so I found, I have already found, and I must say that the, the, the many of the, the tools that Kim's put in this book 
are really, really useful. Um, just in sitting and analyzing these things, because you kind of have that aha moment, you have that sort of like, gosh, I didn't realize that's the way I was thinking about it. Um, and, and you talk about money habits. And I, I loved one of the other things, I've, I've pulled out so many quotes that I just love of yours. You talked about accumulating wealth is not a skill, it is a habit. I love that. It's a good one. I, I mean, let, let me say, I have had a good relationship with money. So the habits I've put in place, like paying myself 20%, in the beginning of the month, instead of waiting to see what's left and then taking what's left, have come naturally to me because I've put a lot of focus into that. But for me, I, I had to question myself while I was in the process of writing the book. I didn't have as good a habit um, in place with my exercise routine. And I actually read a, a book called The Atomic Habits. And, and in the book, James Clear talks very much around how you just need to, it's like compound interest, he says, with exercise. You just need to be doing it constantly. And then that was for a big aha moment for me, Maya, when I said, okay, Kim, it's not like you can go out there and just exercise once a week and, 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 and then the next week do it five times. It's doing it, you know, with putting the habit in place that it's something that's in your life and you're doing it on a consistent basis. And it's really the same for money. It, it, it's bringing that in place. It's not an all or nothing. One day you're doing it, one day you're not. Then you're looking for some scheme that's going to help you get rich quick. It, it, it really is just pra a practice of, of, of being conscious of where your money is going and, 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 and also that, that feeling like you're entitled or, or knowing that you're also entitled to put some of your money where it's really important. Because I find a lot of people are so busy giving their money out, giving it away, giving it to family and to everybody else um, th that they don't always put those right habits in place. And my, maybe one of my big habits that I would encourage everybody to get into is that one where they become more comfortable talking about money. You said you and your husband were talking about it last night. You weren't fighting about it. You were just having an objective conversation. And my encouragement really to people is to start having more conversations when they're in a neutral space about it, because then they can understand it more and they take its power away because we give it so much power by not speaking about it. So, Kim, very important that, that couples do this together, that your book is done together. You share your money stories because I think that is – so my husband and I did that exercise many years ago, um, and it was actually because there was a clash, and, and I couldn't articulate – I didn't understand why. He didn't understand why I had these money fears. And so we had to sit down and tell each other our money stories and how we felt about money growing up. And when you do that and you have that insight into your partner, you're a lot more a forgiving and, and, and you know, uh, you're, you're more forgiving and understanding. And then you can work together uh, because you understand each other's triggers. So I, I think that is the thing that I would do, would really recommend is, is, is to use this book as, as a guide to have the conversation with your spouse or your partner, whoever that is, uh, because that is, is really important. Um, we've got a question that's just come through, which I'm going to take now as well. I struggle with being consistent. How do I stay consistent with any habit? So that's a mindset as well. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think it comes down to that decision that you want the habit to change because for, for anything, it, it needs to be consistent for, for it to work. I mean, that's the bottom line. Otherwise, you go one way and then you cancel the other way out. You go one way and you cancel the other way out. 
So it, it is to take baby steps. And, and I think this is another thing is we all want instant, we want it to change instantly. So we go out of our way, it must be something big that happens. And, and, and then what happens is we, we, we don't stick to it. So, so my encouragement would be in order to become more consistent, it's, it's to do manageable steps. It's not to make it so inconceivable that it's so big that you can't do it. So do manageable. The minute you feel that feeling of, of, of managing it, you want more of it. it. It's quite something that you go, oh my gosh, I can do it. Look, look what happened. And you feel the result. I mean, mine's been around this running. I mean, I, I, I've got myself to now running 5Ks in under 60 minutes. You cannot believe the absolute satisfaction I've got. But it's only because I'm out there doing it four times a week. It's not because I quickly went out to go and do it because then it wasn't going to work. And, and money is exactly the same. Break it up and, and work out what is manageable that you can do. Implement that first. Feel what it feels like. Then implement the next to have a change. And then the next one. And then, then you have a look. All of a sudden you say, oh, my gosh, my money story, my relationship, everything's changed. But it was those small steps. And I'm sure, Maya, you've got something to add on that as well. Well, the one that, I mean, certainly when it comes to money is, is the debit order. It's that, that thing that goes off your account before you spend anything and, and having a, just having a rule that you don't touch it. Um, so, you know, that just those simple things and, of course, not having credit because credit is the one that most people, uh, is bad habits. So I think for me, it's also just setting yourself up. Like I always say that if I'm trying to lose weight, I make sure I don't have biscuits at home. If I have biscuits at home, it's not going to work. Um, um, or as I'm currently doing, try not to have too much wine. So I've told my children I'm not drinking wine. Let me tell you, that's a big one. They watch you. So <laughs> you just set up the parameter. You, make, you, can, you kind of have that kind of accountability, I suppose. Um, Lindsay's asked, um, I'm retiring soon and I have an unhealthy relationship with money. How can I change my money story at this stage of my life? And I want to bring in here, uh, obviously, Kim, your comment, but also this idea of retirement and how we may need to be re-looking our way, especially if you get to, you're kind of reaching 55, 60, and you're thinking, I don't have enough money for retirement. How do we rethink this? Okay, so, yeah, I think there's quite a few different dimensions to that. We are going to probably not be able to look at retirement the way we used to. So, you know, that, that day of, oh, when 60 comes, I'm no longer going to work. Well, first of all, it's it's not doable anymore. With the working careers that we've got, we have not managed to invest enough normally to be able to take us through for the next part of our lives. Most people are going to live till 100. We certainly do the planning till, till, till you're 100. So, so that's one aspect to it. Again, who wants to not work? I mean, who wants to not contribute? We are made as human beings to contribute. So I think just changing your mindset, first of all, around this next chapter, it's another chapter of your life. What are the elements that you're going to bring into it and redefine it for yourself and, and what you want it to look like? So I am seeing people working much longer. But what I am seeing, mine, I think it was a big reason in, in the book, and I'm coming to the question as well now, is, is why don't you redesign what this next chapter looks like? by bringing in work that, that actually you enjoy doing, that you find meaningful, so that you can absolutely go and do it for much longer. So that's just a mindset change around retirement. But then to do with, you know, being too late, I, I do get to meet people that have not saved adequately for, for, for not being able to work, okay? Um, and, and, and the only thing I can tell them, because they always say, they come to me and they say, so what is what should I do now? You are your greatest asset. And I think you just got to keep remembering it. Educate yourself, learn, be open-minded, work out where you can add value because you're going to need to work longer because the only way more income is going to come in 
is if you spend less or you earn more. So that mindset really has to happen. And to Lindsay's question about the relationship with money, it's never too late to change your relationship with money. You know, I mean, even if you're in your 70s and you're in your 80s and you want to change it, you can do it. I mean, why waste it? I mean, I think this whole thing about this next chapter is as well that you can you you, you can take it as a learning opportunity to, to actually achieve what you want to achieve. And if it's your relationship with money, it's a great time. And, and, and it starts with um, just reading my book, <laughs> but also doing the exercises. My book is not written for you to read and put away. It's, it's not a theory book. It's an actual book where you can put into practice, where they, you can do the exercises, you can contemplate, you can reflect about it. And, and, and that way, I think it can add much more value than, oh, I, I read the book. I mean, I love your book because it's got the sticky notes in. I had a client that came to see me late last week and she had all these sticky notes with all the different colors and what she was going to do, why she was going to do it. And it's great just to see that people are taking it seriously and, and, and that they want to change their relationship with, with money. So I've had a few more questions in. I'm going to come back to Trisha's question because it's quite a good one, but I, I kind of feel that Michelle's question leads on a little bit here, and it is how do you expect, how do you deal with the unplanned? And boy, if ever, we, we're asking, all of us are asking that question, it's now. So I was, you know, everything seemed on track. I was 51, kids had left the nest. I had my life planned out. Like I've got my life planned out, my kids, you know, but I've, I, from my husband and I did our plans uh, recently. And of course, it's all based on certain assumptions. And then life happens. Son's back at home, mom fell ill, had to move in. How, how do you cope with just when the plans go awry? <laughs> well, Maya, um, in the book, you'll know, I brought in a whole chapter because uh, uh, I've done all the book, all on, on, on planning and how important it is to plan. And yes, we all want things to go according to schedule, but nothing ever does go according to schedule. And that's one certainty. Um, so while I was in the middle of the book, COVID hit and my husband was diagnosed with cancer. So if all my plans had also gone out of place, it had. So, so just the same, you, you need to stop. Um, but I still believe that you need to have a plan because if you've got a plan in place, you know where you're heading. The plan might be delayed. And, and I think this is something we all need to be conscious of when it's delayed, not to fall apart and to say, absolutely, now it's all gone wrong. That's all gone out of the window. It's to keep that big. And that's why I still keep my vision board in some years. My vision board doesn't happen that year or the next year or the next year, but it's there. And, I, and, and I'm always reminded of which, which area I want to go to. So when when things like COVID have happened and things have really changed and, and know they haven't gone according to schedule, um, I, I think it's, it, it is still important that you've got the plan so that, that you can keep a little bit on track, but to be kind to yourself. And this is a big one. We are our worst enemies where we're so hard and we want to be perfect, perfectionists and we want to do it all right. None of us are perfect. None of us can do it like that. Cut yourself to some slack and, and just remember I'm doing the best I can with what I have today. One other exercise, Maya, in the book, in that chapter, is I share my life timeline of where things go up and where things go down and where things go up and where things go down. And it brings me a lot of, um, when, I, when I look at it and when things are really tough and things are hard, and, and I remember that sometimes from my hardest times in life and my most challenging times, which, which we all have, some of my greatest strengths, and, and, and I get to places where I wouldn't have got to if I hadn't felt that pain. So that does help me 
just go through it and take one day at a time as opposed to to um, being hard on myself that it hasn't gone according to plan. And Michelle, I must just share with you, Kim knows the story about my mom, <laughs> who at 58 was left widowed, financially destitute, lost her home, everything. And she today is financially independent. Uh, last year, a year before COVID, she traveled three times overseas. She achieved so much. Um, and she's always my inspiration. And she always shows me that you can arrive at the age of 58 with nothing and you can get to the age of, well, I mean, she, she eventually stopped working, I think at 74, um, but she has a very fulfilled life. So I think it is so true. We've got to just realize that, you know, life happens. Um, but as long as we kind of have some idea of what is important to us and we have some sort of plans around that, it, it really matters. Um, and I'm going to just quickly go to this question um, because I love this question. Marlene uh, asked this question. And very powerful money message here. I've always said I'm not driven by money as I'm not a fan of greed and a flashy lifestyle. However, I realize I may have created a negative money mindset and neglected my longer term plans. How do I marry mindfulness and modesty with a money plan? Brilliant question. That is a brilliant question. It really is. I was having a radio interview the other day and it was actually a for a magazine and, and she was asking me a similar question so I'm coming back to your yours and she was saying to me she's chosen not to have money because she wanted creativity and I stopped her and I said well what made you believe that you could either have money or you could have creativity why did they have to be exclusive or why why, why couldn't you have both and I think I'm going to go back to the, that same here why does money mean that you're greedy why does money and, and, and what it normally means is we've had some experience. So when we're children and we're in a situation and we might have seen somebody with money and it might have been from our parents, they might have seen that person, you know, that person, they're so greedy. We associate money greed. We don't want to be greedy, so we don't want money. But in, in real terms, there's no truth to, to, to putting those two together. So it's actually pulling it apart and saying, well, why does having money mean you're greedy? I mean, some of the most brilliant people who've done the incredible stuff for society have had a lot of money, but they've been prepared to share it. So again, it comes back to your values. If you can tie it in with your values, if you had money, why would you then be greedy? Same as why would you not be creative and, 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 and not be able to have money? And the two can come together. So it's, I think it's just pulling it apart and, and, and looking to where it's reality and where it's just something that you've God is a belief because of something that's been told to you. I mean, Maya, the big one that we all told is um, that the money is the root of all evil. And, and the amount of times that you hear it, but it's not really. It's a person's reaction and it's a way somebody did it with it. But there's so many people that have been so generous with it that we shouldn't be fixated on, on that. We should put it more to a positive money story. And... Um... There's a, Trisha asked this question, and I have to tell you, I do answer this question in my book, um, but I'm, so I'm interested to hear what Kim's response to this is, because I live an income that's un unpredictable. <laughs> so if your income is unpredictable each month, how do you manage your money? Okay, so from my point of view, if you were doing that, my, I wouldn't be looking at my money monthly about what I'd be investing. I would look at it more from a yearly point of view. I think if, you, if it's unpredictable, the last thing you want is it to be having stress. You know, like money's not coming in, but I know I have to be doing this investment. And if I'm doing this investment now, um, then I'm going to be having the stress. So for me, if I was 
again, to be be talking about that, I would say, look at it from a yearly point of view, what you can afford. You know, when there is a dividend, when there is a bonus that comes in, then that's the time that that's actually getting invested. So it's, again, knowing what your, your, your and I don't call it a budget, sorry, I, I just have negative connotations around a budget. I call it a spending plan. <laughs> so knowing what your spending plan is and knowing what it is you need for all of your expenses um, and, 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 and then also knowing what you think over the year is going to be extra that you can be paying yourself with. And I always call that money that I'm putting away that's my money where I'm paying myself and I'm paying myself first. But, but when it's coming in, not every month, then I would just do it on a different way. But very curious to hear what, what, what you do, Maya. Well, yeah, so mine is creating a salary fund. So I can pay myself a salary every month. So in good months, you build up your salary fund. And in bad months, you may need to draw down on your salary fund. So you, you create that constant, const, the ability to have a constant income, uh, rather than just sort of saying, well, I'll spend when I get it or, or not, um, is to actually spend time building up and and drawing down so it's almost like you're I suppose almost like a, a, a living annuity or something so you you've got this this money that you have uh, accumulated which you add to in good months and obviously um, it helps you just sort of ease it out and it, it takes time to get there I mean it took me you know it, it went because I was a free I went when I went freelance it took me about two years to really get into that proper cycle so it's not an easy thing to do but once you're in the cycle um, you you know it, it is a lot easier to manage and then I pay myself I literally pay myself a salary every month and I live off that salary I I, I have may have more in the business but I live on my salary that I that I accumulate um, what I want to do now before we take more questions is I would love you to play that video of Chip Condi first of all I'd like you to tell the audience about Chip and about the modern elder because I love this concept of the modern elder a modern elder is someone who is both wise and curious and I want to be a modern elder so can you tell to me <laughs> want to become one of those I love that idea um so maybe just tell us a little bit about Chip and uh, I think it leads well into the money story as well so very much um when I was decided that I was writing the book on midlife I needed to now learn more about this transition I was going through it but I needed to also learn learn more from other people and I was chatting to a friend and she told me about Chip Conley and he writes these incredible blogs for any of you that want to follow him called The Wisdom Well. And in his blogs, he's sharing all around this life transition of, of midlife. And he's opened up this academy that you go to in Mexico, beautiful on the beach. And you, you, you go and you spend a week contemplating what you want this next chapter to look like, bringing in all the different aspects. And, and I um, was fortunate enough because this is what I wanted to do, to go to Mexico and to spend a week with him and learn all around this, this concept of a modern elder and the modern elder as well. The lo a lovely term that goes with modern elder is learning to be a mentor. And what a mentor is, is both a mentor and an intern. And I think as, as in organizations and in environments, if we can learn to work together like that, there'll be a place for us. Because I found a big thing with the getting older people feel like they're getting kicked out. And that's not at all what we want. We want a way where we can all work together, but all get benefit from us working together. So yes, I'll, I'll show the chip video and, 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 and then we can maybe chat around it. So Kinley, you're just going to, they're going to all squeal with laughter when they hear the way he pronounces your name, by the way. You're going to have to <laughs> No, it is quite an interesting way he, he pronounces it. <laughs> so this is me and Chip when I went to the Modern Elder Academy. Hello, everybody. I'm coming to you from Mexico, uh, which is where I met Kim Potgeiter. 
um, man, anybody who actually can, who would fly from South Africa to Baja California Sur in Mexico to experience the modern Elder Academy is a friend for life. And I love Kim. I love her wisdom, especially around the finances in our life. But not just the finances, but how does, how does money give you freedom or how does it take it away? These are, these are the kinds of questions uh, Kim and I got to speak about here at the Modern Elder Academy, also known as MEA, the world's first midlife wisdom school. Um, I just want to tell you, I love Kim's new book, uh, The Idea of the Midlife Money Makeover. I, I like it partly because my specialty is focusing on midlife. Um, how do we make midlife and beyond the best years of our lives? Um, so the society uh, paradigm sort of suggests that once you hit about 45, it's all downhill from there. That may be true of your body to some degree, although it doesn't have to be. It's certainly not true of your heart, your soul, and maybe even your emotional intelligence. So what I love about Kim's book is, and I really do believe it's well-suited not for way beyond South Africa to the broader worldwide market, because she really speaks to, you know, how do you invest in yourself? How do you invest in time and in what it is that brings you passion and purpose in your life? And yes, how do you invest your money as well? Uh, most financial investors get very, investors and advisors get very fixated on the money piece. Um, in fact, one of the questions we like to ask here at MEA is the following. If you and money went to therapy together because you have a lifelong relationship and you do, um, what would money say about you? And what would you say about money? <laughs> that's provocative. Kim loves that. And I think that's the kind of thinking that went into this beautiful book she's written. The reality is we all have a relationship with money um, and the script we have often was inherited. We got it from our parents, um, but it's pretty unconscious what that script is. And what I love about Kim's work is that she really helps us to see that our relationship with money is lifelong. It actually can bring freedom as opposed to take it away. Um, and money is just a currency. It's something that actually helps us to get to something else. Money in itself is, is somewhat worthless. It's just paper um, or coins. So what I am here to do is to endorse heartily Kim's new book, uh, The Midlife Money Makeover. I hope you'll go out and get it as soon as possible. I think it'll probably be one of the more valuable books in your life because actually it's something that will be valuable at any age in your life. It doesn't just have to be midlife. It could be younger life. It could be later life. I hope you'll come visit us here in Mexico at the Modern Elder Academy, and uh, I wish you all the best in South Africa and wherever you are watching this. Thank you. That's wonderful, wonderful, Kim. I think it is just a really, really powerful message um, that you know that that he brings there. And what do you feel that you you got out of going to to that? Uh, to be, or do you consider yourself a modern elder? Absolutely. I, I mean, I mean, I definitely am. And, and, and it's a place I'm proud to be. And, you know, going with a whole lot of discussions around this midlife and, you know, often when people even see the, the name midlife, they go, oh, midlife crisis. And I say, no, it's not a midlife crisis. It can be, but it can also be a whole new look at it to, to actually make it the, much better. I think if we, we, we do the midlife and yes, there are the people that end up you know, trading in their partners or buying fancy cars. I don't think you're going to get the satisfaction from it that you potentially could get 
from just taking a step and, and, and pausing and looking at what it is that, that, that you really want to be doing and what they, where you want to be contributing and what you want it to be like. So for me, I'm, I'm proud to be a, a modern elder. And uh, you asked what my main takeout from the time was, besides the fact that it's just the most beautiful part of the world, the beaches and everything were, were so gorgeous. It, for me, was lovely to see people that have come together from all around the world. I mean, I was the only person that's ever been there from South Africa, but there were people from all over Europe, from, from the Americas, from, Europe, from, from all different areas, and yet we were all going through the same thing. You know, we often think that we're alone in this time, and that's my, my, my sense is that, that there's a lot of people not feeling like they belong anywhere because their children potentially have left home. Maybe they're not so wanted or needed um, by their families or by their work. So they're needing to reinvent themselves. And, and, and going there and meeting up with these other people, I realized that, that we're all going through it together. And how much better would it be if we had each other to talk to, if we had each other to run things by and we, and we, and we were there to support each other so that we didn't feel alone going through this transition to get us to, to actually um, make, make this next chapter the best one yet, I always say. <laughs> Fantastic. So if we don't have any more questions coming through, this is your last option opportunity to post a question. Um, you can get Kim's book. I see they have posted up the link so you can get it at exclusive books. Of course, normally, Kim, we'd be sitting having wine and cheese and sitting at <laughs> This is the downside of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of lockdown. Um, but you can obviously buy it uh, online and or you can still pop into exclusive books tomorrow if you want to. But Kim, I wanted to end off um, just with a couple of money affirmations that are in your book. As you can see, I've got them all out here. Um, and, and I think for those of us, once you've gone through your money journey, you understand the affirmations you personally need. I just thought some of these are beautiful. And these are ones that you've shared from your clients. These are not you saying this is what your clients have said. I, I plan and create the life I want. There is always more than enough money in my life. I mean, what a beautiful one. Um, I am the master of my money. I have a plan. My income exceeds my expenses. I plug my money holes. My income increases constantly. I am wealthy in more ways than one. My work allows me to live the life I desire. And I think possibly that's my favorite. So I wanted to end on that. Um, and thank you very, very much, Kim, for, for spending this time with us. And I really, again, to all of you out there, this book is not just for 50-year-olds. It is whether you are 25 or 75. There are lessons in this book about your relationship with money. And in fact, quite frankly, Kim, I think my 20-year-olds should be reading this because if they can establish their relationship healthily in the beginning with money, they won't all be sitting here at 50 saying, what did I do wrong in the last 25 years? Maya, maybe there's another book hey, for either one of us to write for, for younger people because, yes, of course, but, you know, just one last point on that. It, it, it's often when do people take it seriously? And so many times when you do speak to younger people and you want to tell them all of this, that, that, they, that they're not really ready to hear you. Uh, but when we're going through change, we are often a lot more open to, to hearing and, and taking stuff in. Otherwise, it's just like this blah, blah, blah. But you, yeah, and anybody doing the book, um, what I, as I said earlier, I do encourage you to do the reflections. There is a, a journal that's also for sale at Exclusive Books or off my website that you can accompany while you're doing it with a lot of the questions in. Or if you've bought the book, you can also go into my website and download all the exercises with no charge. And you just download them as a PDF because that's how importantly I wanted people 
people to take the exercises seriously. So there, there are opportunities for you to get it. And Maya, you mentioned about doing it as a couple. Uh, I always encourage people to do it separately. Um, so each of you to do it if you're in a relationship and then to come together and discuss each other's because I find if you're trying to answer it all together, the dominant person in the relationship will, will have more of a voice. So do it separately, then come together and discuss it. And it can be incredibly powerful that way because you're starting the discussions. And yeah, just finally have the discussions. Um, money is only an enabler and make sure that it, that it actually starts working for you and that it, it becomes your servant. And, and to do that, you need to put some focus and attention into it so that all of a sudden you, that you don't have that connection of, of it having power over you. Wonderful. And thank you so much, Kim, for, for today. Thank you, Maya. And thank you, Exclusive Books.